Uh, Reverend Maria asked me to just give a little short couple of um, paragraphs or so about stewardship. And um, I had to look up the word so that I really, really got a better understanding of what I wanted to say. And one definition said, the job of taking care of something, which I thought was awesome. And the other definition said, the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And briefly, um, I started coming here like 30 years ago or 20 years ago, but I would just kind of peek in the back and like sit somewhere in the back, and I, I could never commit to like coming here or being a member or any because I um, had had an experience earlier in my life with a, a deeply religious spiritual community. And if you are not spiritually mature enough to handle stuff like that, you, there can be deep, deep wounding can occur. And so I, I just, my pledge was I'm never going to be a part of another group ever. Um, and so I just would, you know, every once in a while, like even if it was once a year, I would poke my head in. But last year, a little over last year, I was having a very difficult time in my life. And I was um, volatile and emotional and extremely lonely. So, you know, I just started coming more. And there was, there was a member here, and she knows who she is, who was like, she was extremely gracious to me. She was extremely outreaching and loving. She was non-judgmental. And it wasn't about like, oh, you know, come to the church. It was just all about, you're welcome here. And I would kind of, like I started coming more and I would still sort of sit like, you know, on the edges out there. And one time I remember that Reverend Maria was giving this talk about, you know, we're so, we're so loved. We're all part of this wonderful group. And honestly, I sat there in the back and I thought, I, I don't, I don't feel like a part of this group. What's wrong with me? Like, um, am I just, you know, there's, I can't, I can't connect. I, I felt this disconnect. And the long and short of it is I, because of my friend entreating me to join some of the committees here, I started going to the journaling group and it kind of blew me away. The women were loving and honest and their authenticity was brave. Um, and then I, I, I just signed up for a bunch of other stuff and people contacted me and I, I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll help with the library. I'll help in the kitchen. I, 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 I didn't know. Um, and I honestly can tell you that it wasn't until I started participating in the joy and the love and what is here and, and, and being willing to give of myself that I started really getting amazing things back. So um, I want to encourage everybody in the spirit of taking care of oneself that we are a whole group here. And I like to think of it in honor of my artist friend who's passing um, did a lot of work with spheres and circles because the circle is always a universal symbol of wholeness. And um, one of my beloved teachers said, we are a circle, so I envision us in this room as a circle. And in a circle, the first and the last, no, the first are last, and the last are first. And what is more to the point no one knows who is first and who is last, and above all, no one cares. 
And there are hierarchies in groups. And no matter what kind of spiritual tradition it can be, it can be um, disheartening. So this is a place where it truly is a sacred opportunity to participate in the wellness of others and our community. And the other thing, lastly, I'd like to say is that the committees that are offered here are incredibly, like you don't have to look through the newspaper to like volunteer when you really want to help, like give somebody food or help somebody that's, you know, with criminal justice. Because any, any of the things that you really, your heart calls you to serve, there are places here for you. And, um, and I'm very grateful, I'm ever so grateful to be given the chance to become a part of this community. The reading I'd like to share with you this morning comes from Jane Kenyon, the poet, and it's called Happiness. It's a famous poem of hers. You may be familiar with it. She says, there's just no accounting for happiness or the way it turns up like a prodigal who comes back to the dust at your feet, having squandered a fortune far away. And how can you not forgive? You make an, a feast in honor of what was lost and take from its place the finest garment which you saved for an occasion you could not imagine. And you weep night and day to know that you were not abandoned. That happiness saved its most extreme form for you alone. Now, Happiness is the uncle you never knew about who flies a single-engine plane onto the grassy landing strip, hitchhikes into town, and inquires at every door until he finds you asleep mid-afternoon, as you so often are during the unmerciful hours of your despair. It comes to the monk in his cell. It comes to the woman sweeping the street with a birch broom to the child, whose mother has passed out from drink. It comes to the lover, to the dog chewing a sock, to the pusher, to the basket maker, and to the clerk stacking cans of carrots in the night. It even comes to the boulder in the perpetual shade of pine barrens, to rain falling on the open sea, to the wine glass, weary of holding wine. So Jane McGonigal is a game designer, and she's also an adorably and extremely proficient presenter of messages. So if you're interested, you can contact me, and I will let you know about some of her really wonderful TED Talks. Anyway, she's bubbly, she's blonde, she's white, she's got curly hair. And she's, in the interest of full disclosure, interested in trying to promote the more positive message around gaming. We, I think most of us are aware of, of how bad a reputation playing games has. So I'm going to invite those of you who have ever told a child, a grandchild, someone else's child, or thought about a child, a grandchild, or someone else's, get the <clears throat> off your phone, stop playing games, and get into real life. Raise your hand. Thank you. 
Now, I was going to say, keep your hand up if you've done that more than a thousand times. <laughs> but I was really afraid I'd be the only one. Oh, thank God I'm not. So everywhere she goes, and she travels widely, she goes to conventions and conferences, and she promotes games and so on and so forth. And everywhere she goes, as soon as people find out what she does for a living, what do you think they say? Gaming is a waste of time. <laughs> no judgment, right? No judgment. So more often than not, someone will add to that piece of scintillating and important and constructive feedback. Do you want to be on your deathbed and regret all of the time you spent playing games? This was a comment that she heard often enough to decide that she wanted to do some research about it, and so she did. She wanted to find out if it, playing games is listed as one of the top five regrets of those of us who come to the end of our lives. Well, you'll be happy to know it hasn't made the list yet, but thanks to our collective efforts, <laughs> it may make it there in, in the future. But what she learned, and I, I want you to know that I actually also sort of did research, so what I'm not just taking someone's word for it. I was curious to, to, to find out for myself. And there are different variations of a, of a list of the things we, we most regret. So I'm going to give them to you, not necessarily in order of importance, but the things that come up most often. Number one... I wish I didn't work so hard. Number two, I wish I followed my own heart in living my life instead of following what others told me I should do. Number three, I wish I spent more time with my family and my friends. Number four, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. And number five, I wish I allowed myself to be happy. Now, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite all-time stories is the story of Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas Carol. I find it one of the most moving stories of redemption that I've ever read or watched in many, its many variations on the screen. And if you're familiar with the story, these regrets are things that pretty much say what the, the, the transformation that he goes through. What happened with Jane is that even though she has not been in her fairly young life. She's not been at the end of her life where she was facing a change or a transition into another plane. But she had a traumatic brain injury. And the injury was such that the pain was excruciating and the pain did not get better after the first couple of weeks. And as she puts it, everything that makes life worth living was stuff that she was not supposed to do. Drink coffee, for example. Be read, 
be around large groups of people, all kinds of things that would make, that would aggravate her injury. But worse than that, as she lay there trying to recover, the pain was so severe that she came to a moment where she just, I don't want to live anymore. I just can't live with this, which happens to many people who have, you know, who have traumatic brain injury. About a third of people who suffer this have thoughts, have ideation about ending, ending their lives. And so she was talking with her sister about this experience, reaching out to someone who loves her and whom she loves. And she decided that she was going to do what she does best, that she was going to create a game. And so she did. She created a very simple game. And it's actually a game that it's free, and I've downloaded it, so I'm, I wanted to know you know, what, what this was before I talked with you about it. But she created this game, and she initially called it something like Jane Slays the Monsters of Brain Trauma. That's probably inaccurate, but it was something like that. So it had the elements of games. It had some puzzles, and it had challenges, and it had monsters to, 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 to be, be vanquished. She eventually decided to make the name shorter, and now it's called Super Better. But the idea of the game was to take an action to do something that she does best and that she really cares about and to build her own resilience. And what ended up happening as she, as she did this, and again, it's incredibly simple. It's things like giving yourself a hug for five seconds. It's drinking a glass of water. I mean, it's really not, you know, for those of us who are not gaming adepts, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, low tech. But what ended up happening was that as she played this game and, you know, distributed out through what my kids call the intertubes, her pain didn't diminish, but it didn't consume her anymore. She actually felt better even though she didn't feel better. It took a year for the pain to go away. And she began to hear from people all over the world who were trying this. People who were dealing with losses and diagnoses, and some of them terminal diagnoses. And people were sharing with her that this simple game was helping them feel better and helping them cope. The community that was being created with this, this tool, one of many tools that exist, the community that was being created was reinforcing everyone's need, needs that you and I have heard this morning needs that you and I have shared to heal, to be heard, to be understood, to be held while we are going through really difficult times. 
And she began to understand that playing this game, or indeed playing many other games, playing the theme songs and you get chocolate game. I don't think that's as, well, never mind. can in fact address directly the regrets that many of us carry. That if we play, time we spend playing, we're not working. That if we want and need more connection in our lives, that games can be an incredibly powerful way to find connection with one another. That if we search for the courage to be who we are, I don't know if any of you have played, my son, actually both of my kids play games in which you create an avatar of yourself. You create your ideal self, like Jane the super slayer of, of, you know, brain trauma monsters. That these games, in fact, and there's a lot of research around this, that these games, in fact, help to help us reinforce our true selves. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole debate around games good, games bad, games good, games bad. I will just say to you, the game Tetris, even my mother-in-law played Tetris. (laughs) The game Tetris was used as a therapeutic tool with combat veterans coming home. And it turns out that playing the game actually helped rewire their neural circuitry such that they've experienced fewer or even no flashbacks. Are any of you familiar with flashbacks? They're terrifying. They're terrifying to experience and they're terrifying to watch. Someone I was in deep relationship with for a long time, Philadelphia homicide detective, who'd been in a shootout in which his partner was shot in the back. And he had flashbacks. Terrifying, difficult, debilitating experiences. And this game, this game is effective in helping to rewire us, rewire the mind so that that doesn't doesn't happen. Why are we talking about this in church on a Sunday morning. Well, we don't want the kids to be the only ones who are having a good time. That was a joke, but not really. Because actually, cultivating resilience, being there for one another, building community, and helping us to live a life that leaves us with no regrets is part of what our faith calls us to. We have as one of our Unitarian Universalist principles the fact that we affirm and encourage, even demand, that each of us have a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Truth and meaning, something that we help one another to find. Meaning in our lives is the opposite of having regrets. 
our seventh principle. Our seventh principle, we affirm the interdependent, the interconnected web of all existence. We are not isolated little beings, whether we recognize it or not. We are part of the web of life. It's how we choose to engage that makes the difference. Being a community that can hold one another if asked, if you answer the invitation, as DJ talked about, to be held until we cultivate our own resilience as part of our purpose. So for the next couple of minutes, we're going to practice together. Ready? No chocolate for this, but, well, maybe. Okay. So the first thing I want you to do, you have two choices. I'm going to give you two choices for all of these. You can either stand up and walk three steps, which might be challenging in here, or make fists and hold your hands up. Go. <laughs> Okay, everybody, you there? You there? Fist, 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 fist. All right, all right. Okay, excellent. All right, you may sit down. You just cultivated your physical resilience. So if you stand up or walk or hold your fists up in the air for a minute, once every once for every hour in 12 hours, they don't have to be consecutive in every day, you will build physical resilience. And just in case you needed motivation, resilient people live on average 10 years longer than non-resilient people. So you probably just gained 17 seconds of life you didn't have before. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. Number two, again, you get two choices. You may look out the window, or you can call up the picture of a baby animal on your phone. Go. Raise your hand when you've completed your task. Excellent. You have just cultivated your emotional resilience. So what that means is if you experience curiosity or love, you are building your emotional resilience. And again, the science says and shows, this is used in cognitive behavioral therapy, which I'm a big fan of, that if you are able to counter every negative emotion with three positive emotions, you can, oh, so cute. <laughs> I'm telling you, those kitten channels are sounding pretty damn good right now. <laughs> Three positive emotions for every negative. I mean, we can, tr this is simple stuff. We can train ourselves, right? Again, we're cultivating resilience. Add 17 more seconds to the last one. We're getting into big numbers here. 
Okay. The next thing I'm going to ask you to do, now we are in germ season, so I don't know if you all want to touch each other, but you can either turn to someone next to you and shake hands. Now this you have to do for six seconds, okay? One, one thousand, two, one thousand. Or you can deliver a message of love and approval and affirmation to someone via a text message. When was the last time somebody told you you used your phone in church, okay? <laughs> or you can get up again, double your resilience, and go deliver a message to someone. Go. So I could tell that you all did this incredibly well. <laughs> so not only did you cultivate your social resilience, but the chances are about 100% that you secreted some oxytocin, which means you're going to feel good for a little while, which means that today's potluck should be amazing. Okay. We're doing incredibly well. Now, here's the toughie, mental resilience. Here are your two choices. You can snap your fingers 50 times. Do not be distracted by people counting out loud next to you, because believe me, they will. Or if snapping your fingers is a challenge, clap. Go, 50 times. Overachievers! <laughs> well done! <laughs> Beloved, you did it. If we, on a daily basis, focus on and cultivate our mental resilience, our social resilience, our physical resilience, and our emotional resilience. We give ourselves, actually seriously, I mean, I was kind of kidding about the 17 seconds, but it probably is more like five minutes. We give ourselves space. We give ourselves, we encourage in ourselves the strength and the courage and the happiness, not only to continue to live through the amazing times and the challenging times. But we give ourselves the space to be who we choose to be in the world and who we choose to be as Unitarian Universalists who have powerful values and powerful desires for peace and justice. Amen. Ashe and blessed be. Thank <laughs> you.